Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown, your weekly look at the IT news of the week. I'm your host, Rich Raffalino. Ordinarily, I'm joined by the networking nerd himself, Tom Hollingsworth, who usually sits just over there. Flying solo today, it's intimidating, it's imposing, but gosh darn it, we're going to have some fun. Now, last week, Tom uh, was at the RSA conference, or RSA conference, or RSA, as some people like to call it, and saw a lot of interesting companies. He was uh, sending back kind of updates and stuff like that of the cool companies that he was seeing, and uh, we'll be talking about that at some point uh, in the future, a lot of good stuff. But one thing that kind of jumped out to me uh, in kind of our coverage, and that, and that kind of paralleled something else that we've been seeing on gestaltit.com, is that we're seeing a lot of, I don't want to say legacy companies, but companies uh, that are more established, that have been around in the IT for a number of times and seem to have a very fixed vertical. I'm talking old, uh, older storage companies, I'm talking older networking companies, are now finding themselves in the age of digital transformation, maybe trying to move into something that sounds a little sexier, even though fundamentally, maybe they're doing something very similar. Uh, we're seeing that uh, right now, a really great example of that is in storage. We're seeing a lot of companies uh, that want to move from being, oh, we sell you your storage array to, well, we sell you a storage array, but we're really a data management company or or, or some kind of data company, that kind of, of spin to it. And there certainly is more to it than just a change in buzzwords. There's a, a fundamental shift that has to happen to a company. If they really want to achieve that. But I think we're seeing something very similar uh, on the security and networking side. I think we're seeing a lot of networking companies really try and focus in uh, on also kind of expanding into pure security plays. And we're seeing that in some of the big names uh, of uh, of companies that were at RSA and making major announcements. We had companies like Akamai who are doing uh, web application firewalls and adding uh, increasing uh, uh, support for security via APIs, uh, something that I hadn't been doing before, and also uh, kind of incorporating bot protection into that as well. So basically when you're on your mobile app, you can't uh, get owned by uh, uh, some um, nefarious bot or something like that. And then the other major one, of course, is Cisco. Now, Cisco is no stranger to security, um, but uh, you know we've seen a lot of talk about their advanced malware, their uh, protection AMP, I think is uh, what it's called, and for endpoints. And they recently announced uh, some updates to that, that they're rolling in uh, uh, better threat information from their Talos research group and, and really other optimizations along that way. And I, and I think it's really interesting that we are seeing this shift as well. And I, I really want to... Uh, uh, get Tom's thoughts on this as well, because, you know, he has that perspective of knowing these companies, you know, for, for well over a decade now, kind of knows their ins and outs, and whether this is an actual shift or maybe just a shift in perception for a lot of these companies, because I think we're seeing that definitely on the storage side, right? There are some companies that are making really big investments to kind of move the battleship, right, uh, around to to being a more modern company, and then there are other companies uh, not to, I won't name any names, but that are maybe doing a little bit more lip service and certainly are providing a reliable product, but maybe it's not, you know, a data product quite there as well. So interesting to get Tom's thought on that as well. Other big announcements uh, coming out. Uh, we had an interesting announcement and follow me along with here. I'm, I'm going to find the IT angle here. There was a uh, news recently that Flickr was going to be acquired. It's a sad day for Web 2.0. Uh, the corpse of Flickr officially got tossed out of the uh, AOL Yahoo merger monstrosity organization. I think it's called Oath, right? The photo service is being acquired by SmugMug. Now, if you're like me, uh, that news was really significant for you because you found out that SmugMug was in fact something that existed. I had never heard of it. I had never really heard of anyone that had heard of it. To be fair, it's marketed pretty much exclusively at professional photographers. 
I am not a professional photographer. I don't hang out with a ton of professional photographers. So that may be why I had not heard of it. Uh, supposedly the site will be operated independently for the time being. Uh, but this raised a very interesting question for me. And I wrote about this on Gestalt IT that one of the things, while it's going to be operated pretty much supposedly business as usual for Flickr, AKA the thing that no one goes to, but there are still millions of people that use it. Um, you're still going to have to opt into a new terms of service. And that gives me a lot of pause on a personal level. I use that as kind of my long, uh, as one of my backup targets for all of my photos. Uh, they offer one terabyte of storage, photo storage for free. I wish they would support raw files, but it's JPEG only. That's okay. Um, but that was something, you know, it was like, okay, Flickr is a known entity. Okay. They're owned by Yahoo. Yahoo is horrific with security. I can resolve myself to that, I suppose, at least it's been stable ownership or whatnot have you. But now shifting ownership, this really makes me question the, the wisdom of that decision. Now, you can argue that that was not a great decision going forward. Like, hey, Rich, maybe don't do all of your backup on a free service that could be exploited at any time, I suppose. But the fact that now I have to opt into a new terms of service really makes me kind of question that decision. And then this raises another interesting question because we also just heard uh, Axios was reporting uh, that um, uh, the uh, the parent company Oath that owns the uh, Yahoo AOL um, monstrosity is updating their terms of service. So this wouldn't apply to Flickr being acquired, but basically those terms of service are forcing people whose uh, information was hacked uh, to waive the right at a class action lawsuit and instead of go through third party arbitration. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see if, uh, you know, there'll be such onerous terms. It was really quite funny. I encourage you to check out the post uh, about that and we'll put a link to the uh, show notes there. Uh, it was the friendliest uh, terms of service change that screws over customers that I've ever seen. They made it sound very flowery, like, you know, to really better benefit people that, you know, aren't going to be able to take advantage of this. Oh, this class action. We're going to bring in a trusted third party so that you'll be able to, uh, you know, handle all of your disputes. It was it was beautiful in its sophistry and just as meaningless. But the question here that I think both of these kind of underlie is when you don't own something that you're depending on. And for me, this is a photo online photo service, you know, but for an organization, this could be, you know, if you're if you're investing too heavily in SaaS or something like that, that. At the end of the day, because you don't own it, you're dependent on either a terms of service, maybe something with a little more teeth to it, like an SLA, some sort of contractual agreement. But those services can be acquired. Those, you know, that's something that can move. If you have bought something, you have paid for it as capital, you know, that sits in your data center. Yeah, okay, you know, maybe you don't get support if someone gets acquired or something like that. Those terms can change, but there's a, I feel like there's a little bit more security. I'm not saying, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stop using Flickr because of this acquisition, or people should stop using SaaS because theoretically the company that provided it could be acquired or changed or divested or something. Just that if you're not already doing that as part of your homework, you know, I, I think people have to take that a little bit more seriously. It's something about SaaS that I haven't heard a lot about. Uh, I've heard a lot about you know how do you optimize it for workflows and all that sort of stuff, and and there's a, a data security component to it. But the simple fact that, uh, you know, ownership of it uh, could change and we're, we're seeing this now. And I imagine as we, we see more maturity with SaaS that we're going to continue uh, to see this as an issue. Definitely something to take account of. And uh, I think I thought very interesting. Uh, and other uh, IT news, uh, we saw Alphabet report earnings. Now, you may say, hey, Alphabet, 
That's uh, that Google company, right? I think I've heard of them before, right? That's the uh, holding company for Google and all of their other things that lose money. Uh, Alphabet reported revenue of $31.15 billion, billion with a B, on earnings of $9.93 a share. Analysts had expected earnings of $9.28 per share on revenue of $30.29 billion. So it's always nice to add an extra billion dollars to expectations. Uh, Google's other revenue business, they have weird names for everything that's not Google because all of those things are not that great at making money. Uh, Google's other revenue business, which includes uh, Google Cloud and also a lot of their hardware uh, divisions, uh, was up a billion dollars on the year uh, compared to uh, Q1 in 2017, uh, reporting $4.3 billion in revenue. This does get obscured a little bit. I don't know if we can quite say it's a pure uh, $1 billion growth on the year because they recently rolled in assets uh, from Nest back into that division. There was this whole big complicated thing with Nest and Google. Uh, but basically, those assets are back in there. Nest is clearly, well, I don't want to say that. I don't believe Nest is a billion-dollar business. But I'm assuming there's also some revenue that was added onto there. So because they don't break out the Google Cloud numbers, it's a little bit hard to tell how they are doing. Um, on some of their other divisions, their other bets division, which is really where a lot of their moonshot prog programs go, uh, it showed their usual lopsided uh, earnings uh, with Q1 revenue of $150 million. Okay, that's not $150 million. I would take it. Uh, but on, on uh, but showing an operating loss of $571 million. So not quite offsetting. Uh, there for Google's earnings. Always uh, interesting to see where we are at. Once we get um, Amazon and Microsoft all reporting their earnings uh, relatively recent, whenever their most recent quarter is, we'll put those numbers together and kind of compare where we are at. We're getting a little bit more clarity, I think, with Microsoft and their Azure earnings. They rolled that into Windows Server uh, revenue, but they're really signaling that that is not going to be a major uh, source of revenue for them in the future. Um, so I think we're going to get a little bit more clarity in, in terms of the Azure numbers. And then AWS, Amazon, they have no problem. They'll throw that number out there because it's a big giant number and it's better than everyone else. And also Oracle too. Um, you know, we recently hosted Oracle um, at uh, Tech Field Day. We saw their cloud infrastructure group. So I'll be interested to see what their uh, cloud revenue is for the next quarter. I know they're investing very heavily in it. Uh, they've tied a lot of executive compensation to growth in the cloud. Um, it, it's never quite a one-to-one uh, -one comparison because financials, they're fun. Uh, but it'll be very interesting to see where we are at in terms of who's making money on the cloud. It, it is remarkable to me, though, that with all of the momentum, it seems, that the cloud has, the inevitability of the cloud eating everything, right? Everyone's talking about, you know, public cloud is just going to consume IT. There's going to be like five servers that are going to be left over in some dusty data center with some tape sitting on top of it or something like that. It is interesting to me that, yeah, 4.3 billion, a lot of money for the quarter. It doesn't feel like if cloud is eating everything, and even Amazon's numbers, which are uh, not quite an order of magnitude greater, but uh, significantly larger than what Google is showing, even with uh, their combined revenue, it still seems less maybe than it should be. So maybe, yes, all the momentum is behind cloud, but there's still a long way to go before cloud eats everything. Or maybe it's just all those great cost savings by moving to OpEx. And then finally, we had a story, uh, speaking of Microsoft, uh, which we were, I suppose, at some point, uh, Microsoft going on a diet. Windows Central is reporting that Microsoft is developing a version of Windows 10 that's two gigabytes smaller than a typical install and designed to be installed on devices with as little as 16 gigabytes of internal storage. This is being called Windows 10 Lean internally uh, because I guess all the cool code names were taken. 
It manages uh, it manages the space savings by not including things like Registry Editor, Internet Explorer, and other software not really needed for low-end tablets and uh, laptops. I'm assuming there's some sort of drivers that are missing from there too. What's really interesting though here is when I first read this, I was like, oh boy, another pared down version of Windows. We had you know Windows uh, 10S, we've had Windows RT, we've had all of these compromised Windows experiences. I actually think this shows Microsoft is learning something because while it will skip, you know, as much as I will miss Registry Editor, uh, and it will make my heart very sad. Uh, it will still include uh, the full ability to run all. It, it's a it's a stock otherwise version of Windows. You can run all your Win32 apps. You have full access to all your legacy apps. All modern Windows apps will run. You're really not losing anything um, compared. You know, you're not having to run anything in emulation like Windows on ARM or anything like that. So this really is, I feel like, uh, uh, maybe a call to try and reclaim some of that Chromebook market that Microsoft is always trying to get to. And seemingly, I, you know, I don't know the numbers. I know in education, Chromebooks are, are really taking over. We saw already Apple reacting to that with their recent iPad announcement. And I think this is Microsoft just trying to be like, okay, you know, you can shave off the 10 cents uh, off the cost of the laptop instead of putting in that 32 uh, gigabyte terrible MSATA drive or whatever, or, you know, whatever terrible flash you're going to put in there. You can put in 16, save that 10th of a cent, sh shift that cost saving onto the organization or something like that. Just be a little bit more competitive. At the end of the day, though, I do have to question, you're always going to be paying for that Windows license unless, you know, Microsoft really is shaking things up. And with their move to services, maybe that is more of a possibility. But, you know, at the end of the day, that Windows license is the big, is the reason that Microsoft tends to be more expensive compared to a Chromebook or or some other, the other competing stuff. Um, and I, I do have to question if they want to be competitive in this Chromebook space uh, and in the super low end space, you know, I think that is just as big of an impediment, if not these technical qualifications, because yeah, it's nice to be able to get down to 16 gigabytes. That really does open you up to a whole new class and maybe makes you also competitive in other markets outside of the US and maybe in, in the Western world in general. Uh, definitely needed. Smart by Microsoft to maintain compatibility. No one is going to miss registry editor. Guy that's going to miss registry editor. I don't care. You're alone. Stop. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, I, I do have to, I think it's the licensing that's going to be the big issue here. So that just about does it, I think, uh, for the Gestalt IT Rundown. Uh, remember, you can find uh, more of our stuff at gestaltit.com. I wrote up more about my concerns about the Flickr uh, acquisition going on there. So you can check that out as well. Uh, always putting up good stuff. I really had a, I just posted an interesting kind of rebuttal uh, to a recent post by Troy Hunt about why um, uh, meat space analogies for digital issues are always a terrible idea. Um, I think it's a very interesting debate to have. I don't 100% agree with them. So check that out at gestaltit.com. You can follow us on Facebook, which is what you're doing right now. You're watching this live right now. Uh, Facebook.com slash gestaltit. Or you can check us out uh, on YouTube. Just search for gestaltit there and at gestaltit on Twitter. We're not on Snapchat because we're adults. Uh, sorry if you wanted to see, I don't know, pictures of an office. I you can just Google that and pretend it's our office, I guess. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday uh, live at 12.30 p.m. Eastern or thereabouts. Uh, you can check out announcements for that. Uh, we post them on Facebook, on Twitter, all those good platforms with the socials that take all of your privacy. Uh, and I'll be back uh, then with uh, Tom Hollingsworth. You can follow him at Networking Nerd on Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Anthropology, MR Anthropology. Thank you so much for watching. Really appreciate it. And until next time we meet, remember, everybody, have a super sparkly day.